The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello there and welcome back to Spin the Rally Pod. My name is Colin Clark and joining me on this edition of Spin the Rally Pod, two of our Dartfish colleagues from Seattle. It is Jack. Jack, very good evening to you. Hey, good evening, Colin. It is evening, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's it's pretty late now. It is. And Brenton. (laughs) Brenton, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Great. Uh, You might wonder why it's myself, Jack and Brenton. Boys... Let our listeners know, Brenton, where we are and what we're doing here. We're currently sitting in the Airbnb River View Resort yes. in northern Minnesota, which is located in the Midwest of the United States. We are here for the seventh round of the Green APU ARA National Championship. We are. Jack, what else can you tell us about where we're at and what happened uh, today? Well, oh, where we're at first, I'm enjoying this. Yes, so we're so in it's a, a geography lesson. It is lovely. It's uh, we're in a little tangle park rapids. Yes. Um, in uh, what some people have described as the land of ten thousand lakes. Yes, which is a little bit of a misnomer, <laughs> isn't it? Because <laughs> yeah. there are more than ten thousand lakes. Uh, somewhere around the vicinity of fourteen thousand. Fourteen thousand lakes. And what what does a lake have to to qualify as a lake? What does um, it have to be? I would say. At least over 10 acres. At least, at yeah. least. That is absolutely spot on, Brenton. You've been re- reading the same Wikipedia page that I've been reading. Uh, yeah, we are. We're here in uh, the beautiful, beautiful North Minnesota for the Ojibwe Forests Rally. It is the penultimate round of this year's ARA. APU? Green APU ARA, the American Rally Championship. And it has been, boys, a really, really great weekend here. We've been blessed with some great weather, but more importantly, we've been blessed with some great rallying. For our listeners who are maybe not quite so familiar with this rally, uh, Brendan, tell me about day one in terms of the type of stages, because they were quite different from day two, which, Jack, you can tell us about. Day one stages here, you know, a lot of elevation, really, really sandy roads. And, uh, you know, the elevation here is a lot of blind crests over turns, not necessarily just long hill climbs or anything like that. You know, like the land of 10,000 lakes, it's a very hilly section, not necessarily big hill climbs, but just a lot of bumps and over those blind crests, like I was saying, you know, uh, a lot of turns over crests, not a lot of straightaways in this rally. It's one of the tightest, twistiest rallies here in the championship and very, very sandy, at least on Friday's stages. Jack, what can you tell us about Saturday's stages? Yeah, Saturday was a completely different like approach mm. after having some more open, uh, open stages. It goes more into the woods. There's lots of overhang on the trees. The roads become narrow and tighter and sort of sweeping and flowing. Um, but the, the width of the road is, is so much tighter. Uh, yeah. There's really no room for error through there, and uh, I think a couple of competitors got caught out by they it. They did, they really did. When you say the, you know, it's the width of the road, I mean, there were roads like I've never seen anywhere. Right. You know, generally, so Friday, we, we went out and had a look at Friday stages, and for me, there was a touch of Hokkaido and Rally Japan about some of it. 
there was a touch of Rally GB about some of it. There was a whole load, once again, of a thousand lakes rally in Finland to some of it. But then we came into these twistier stages, as you say, on Saturday, and it was so unique, so different from anything I've seen, overhanging, and we're not talking an over kind of arching uh, of trees, but it was an overhanging, it did overarch the road, maybe eight or ten feet above the level of the road. We had green roads with the, now we'll have a debate about this again, what we would call in the UK single track roads through the trees. It was really, really something, looked spectacular, but really challenging, really challenging from all the undergrowth, Brenton, and all the, the overhang in terms of how you approach those kind of stages, tricky, really tricky after the fast and flowing stages of the day before. Yeah, definitely. Those Saturday stages, like you're saying, you call it single track. I'm going to call it a two track. If I reference a two track, I'm talking about the same roads as the single exactly track. Exactly the same type of roads. One car wide, effectively. One car wide. But, yeah. you know, when I reference two track, it's, you know, each side of the car has a tire track. Correct. In the middle of the road, you're seeing a lot of green grass, like these trail type roads. Yeah. Haven't been used for a few years out here. And you're saying that overgrowth is coming in. A little bit of green grass in the middle of the road, a little bit of green grass on each side of the road. You're not able to put the car as sideways because you get all four tires or even one tire on that green section of grass there. You're going to feel it and kind of slide out a little bit more than expected compared to those Friday stages where you have that option to really throw it around sideways. Yeah. And it's a different style of driving, isn't it? Because you know, Friday stages, they were wide. You could, you, know, you could throw the car in. You could let the back end drift out. But Saturday was about accuracy. You had to be accurate because you had no choice. You couldn't go wide. You couldn't let the back end drift out. It it's, it's something yeah. on Friday stages you really got to think about, too. It's not that you can slide the car around, but you have to because the sandy material, you're yeah. not going to get that responsiveness when yeah. you're turning in. When I did this rally, I, I described it as feeling very numb. You know, I was going into a lot of the turns, straight line braking, turning the wheel, and felt delayed that turn in. Yeah. Throwing that weight a little bit more around on those Friday stages, you have to keep that car moving around. And, you know, we talked to some of the drivers and co-drivers, and a lot of people were kind of getting sick because they're keeping the car moving the entire time. A little bit of overheating issues as well because they're always keeping that car sideways, not able to get those straightaways needed to get the air into the radiator and cool that car down. I'm getting, I'm getting a bit of motion sickness just thinking about it. Exactly. I'm sitting <laughs> in my seat here just moving and swaying. I'm getting exactly what you're saying. So hopefully... Uh, Guys back home, you're getting a, a feeling for what Ojibwe is about. Uh, really, really good rally stages. Really good stages for the competitors. So let's talk then, boys, about the weekend. Um, the debut of the new Subaru Motorsports USA Impreza. Now, what did we decide, Brendan? It was the Impreza. It's an Impreza WRX, but they're referring to it as the 23R. 23R. Now... Anyone following North American rallying will know Subaru have been pretty dominant in the championship over the years. But they continue to push the boundaries. They continue to move forward, don't they? And this, this car, an evolution, boys, of the previous car? Well, uh, Subaru themselves were saying that approximately 70% of the car is completely new. 70%? Yeah, it's, a, it's, wow. a, it's a very fresh build. They're basing it off of the new WRX chassis. Mm. Um, under different regulations these days, they've had to change the suspension on it. They've had to change how much it moves. There's uh, restrictions uh, in, in some of the turbo. But they're building the uh, the strongest possible car that they can within the category yeah. right now. Yeah. And uh, adapting it to this new platform is exciting, but it is completely different from their old STI platform. Brenton, uh, you got to go in that car. 
you've got a ride in it during the test. You've got first-hand experience of just how capable that machine is. Tell us about that ride. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to get a ride with Brandon at the end of testing on Wednesday, I believe that was. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things in testing, you always see the onboard from, from different people's tests, and usually at the end of the day is the video that they post because they know the road. You know, so I had the opportunity to go with Brandon after he had already had multiple runs through that stage. Uh, so he had a little bit more knowledge of the road than just going into a fresh stage. He had the ability to actually throw that car and actually push that car to a little bit more of its limits. And I could feel that going in. You know, comparing it to, to the rally school, I felt like a student going on a thrill ride. Um, the the lateness in the braking of that car over like i said these tight twisty crests over turns we were taking turns in fifth gear it felt like brandon wasn't braking till just at the top of the crests and shifting the the direction of the car the car just feels so nimble so fast it grips up so well and so much weight transfer we were going into some of those turns the road was worn because he'd been driving it all day but some of those turns would be going up to those crests, just a little touch of brakes, and you could hear the skid plate just touching a few of those little rocks on the top, shifting positions. And then it felt like, you know, kind of carrying that rotation over the crest down into the compression. And as we hit that compression, the car would just straighten right back out. It was very, very snappy to change directions, but also very, very snappy to straighten right back out. It was very eye-opening to see the power that that car had, the nimbleness of that car, and it was honestly, it was, it was a thrill. It was great. See, and, and that test, it was, it was narrow. I mean, dearie me. Um, yeah, you were brave. You were brave to go in it. Your drivers make, because you, 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 as you say, you've competed on this one a few times. Um, drivers make the worst co-drivers are generally, generally, there are exceptions to the rule, the worst co-drivers, the worst passengers. But you managed them. Uh, I mean, I wasn't calling notes or anything in there. I was more <laughs> along for the ride. I was taking in... Uh, just taking it all in, you know, trying to understand and, and see what it really takes to drive one of those cars. Yeah. You know, I, I've never driven a car with that much power. Obviously, I wasn't driving the car, but I wanted to see what it took. You know, I was watching his footwork, watching his hands, maybe paying a little more attention to detail than some other passengers that Brandon might have. You know, I was able to talk to him about that a little bit. You know, even it was a down and back stage. So we got to the end and we, we pulled the handbrake, put the car sideways, and we sat there for five minutes just talking about that run. You know, asking him questions about the little details, how much brake he's using here, how quick he's turning in, the little bit of steering input that he needed, and just kind of using the throttle and brakes to turn the car, much like we would a school car, but just the speed and efficiency that that car is designed to complete those tasks of turning the car and straightening it out was just very, very eye-opening. You know, it was a two-ish mile stage, but it felt like, you know, there were some threes and fours in there, but I don't think we got back down to third gear once we got out of yeah, third gear. Quick. It was all Certainly fourth, quick. fifth, and sixth. Wow, what an experience. And it gave you that opportunity to see that hand, that, that hand, that car, you know, first hand from inside. Uh, do you think there was any pressure on them, Jack, Subaru this weekend? You know, it was, um, uh, it's a big project, it's a big investment. Uh, you know, they've taken a winning car, and every time you replace a winning car, is it a gamble? I don't know. Yeah, I, I would imagine that there was a certain amount of pressure going into this weekend, but I wouldn't have said that it had anything to do with points. Um, they've put a lot of time and effort into this car. They have... And like I said, men, uh, they've built a, essentially a new vehicle. Um, there's a lot of promo that's come out for it. I think the pressure was being able to test it in a real-world competition environment. Vermont Sports Car know how to build a fantastic vehicle. Um, they've been doing this for a long time. Them and Subaru have a great relationship. 
Um, I think what they were really here to prove was once again, we are on a new platform, we can throw down, even if the, the, uh, the old chassis was such a winner. It's like, well, we're here to innovate, we're here to do something different. It's a reliability test, it's a competition test, and it's sort of cementing their role in the sport. Mm. Um, I think the pressure was probably a lot more internal than external, which is sometimes the sort of pressure that really gets to people. It's yeah, a, a, a lot more intense than having to you know, rise to an occasion. You're rising uh, to your own expectations. Yeah, and we, we've seen it so many times in the past, uh, new cars being brought to, uh, to competition that they can put 10,000, 15, 20,000 kilometers on those cars in testing, but they go to their first rally stage, first competition, and they discover new things about the car, things that maybe they'd missed in testing. That, for me, is, is, is generally the biggest concern. You know, I remember Citroen a few years ago, 2002, the World Rally Championship, Citroen Zara. And I think it was the Zara. It was, it was a, a new car to the championship. And uh, they put many thousand kilometers on those cars in testing. And I remember I was up at Shakedown as well. I was working for the tobacco company. And news came through that I think it was Loeb's car had blown an engine on the way up to Shakedown. Shakedown was miles away from Monte Carlo. I was like, well, this is odd. But they managed to change it. The rules at the time, you could change the engine over. And then the rally starts. And I think it was McRae and... I can't remember it wasn't McRae, but it was certainly Science and another driver. Within, within a stage or two, both their engines had blown. The only one whose engine didn't blow was the replacement engine. It was an old engine that they put back into Loeb's car. And what had happened, they had never tested this car on long road sections. Never tested it. So they'd done all this endurance testing, this performance testing, but they hadn't actually taken it out for a couple of hundred kilometers in, you know, at road, road speed. And something within that setup, something within that engine setup, had gone on the road section. Um, and all three engines blew. And it's those kind of situations that can, that can arise. And, and, and as I say, I think that's what gives these teams the pressure in these environments. But they needn't have worried. Um, they needn't have worried this weekend because with Semenuk and Keaton Williams in the car, they, they did a great job. They did a great job. What can we say about the performance of the car this weekend? They won. Everyone expected them to win clearly. Uh, but what can we say about the performance? I mean, just a step back, just a hair there, how you're talking about, you know, that little bit of real-world testing, you know, talking uh, to Brandon at the end of the rally here. You know, they've done all this testing and development, and one of the little things that Brandon had happened at the end of stage 16, I believe it was, we caught him. We didn't get a chance to talk with him because he came through with a flat tire. Mm. You know, and then mm. they drove past, and obviously the road that they were leaving on didn't have enough room for them to pull over and change the tire, so we could see them drive off into the distance and find a little turnoff where they could change the tire talking to Brandon at the end of the day, he said that's the first flat tire they've ever had just on the new car. It's just exactly. astonishing. And, and, you know, okay, they won't have tested for tens of thousands of kilometers. But what did he tell us? How many days testing had he done in the car? I think about 14 days. 14 days testing. And I, I reckon conservatively you could say 150 miles a day testing. Would that be about right? Maybe that's actually better. And I said between two and 250 kilometers a day. So, you know, 14 days times 200 is... A lot. <laughs> it's three, nearly 3,000. Um, so, you know, not to have a puncture in that time seems quite remarkable. But, you know, okay, punctures are punctures, but the, the, you know, I had a wee chat with Brandon at the end of it, and again, it reminded me of Chris Atkinson. Chris Atkinson, when they brought out the uh, Subaru, uh, the S14, um, I think it was Greece, in fact, it was Greece, uh, at the end of one of the stages, he had an issue an issue with the car, and because he didn't know 
the car because he didn't know where the various switches were and all the rest. He couldn't locate this problem. And it was a simple problem with a... Uh, it wasn't a switch. It was, I think, with um, with the... What do you call it? Uh, you know, the things that they pull out occasionally. What was it called? What were the things? Fuses. Really? A fuse. A fuse. Yeah. A fuse. You can tell it's quite late on in the evening. <laughs> can't you? It was a simple thing. A really simple thing. But they spent... 20 minutes, half an hour trying to locate it, went over time and they were out of the rally. You know, and so the, the puncture for the first time, um, they chose to drive through with that puncture. The right thing to do because, you know, you stop on the stage and you start having to do things under real time pressure with a brand new car facing an issue you've never faced before. And that's potentially where things can go wrong. And that was one of the things I kind of asked Brandon. I mean, you asked him about, you know, getting to the end of the stage, but I, I said, well, when you felt that issue up front, did you even know it was a flat? You know, you've yeah. never experienced a flat in this car. Obviously, it's fairly similar in any car to feel a flat tire, but it could be something a little bit different. He said when they did go to change it, there's a little bit of variations on the process to change that tire. So, you know, was it a flat? Was it something else that maybe they had issues there? But, you know, he took it a step backward and said, well, I knew the rock. I saw the rock that I hit. I could tell that was small enough rock to not damage any suspension, but it's something to just hit the, the tire just right. So he knew it was a flat, but didn't, uh, didn't change it on stage, obviously, like you said. And, and he came through, and it wasn't, wasn't down to the rim or anything. There was still plenty of rubber there, so it was, was the right decision. Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, he said since he knew it was a flat, he pulled back way back because he knew the tire didn't delaminate. He said it almost felt like maybe it de-beaded and then the tire was still intact. So he pushed it, and even when they got to the end of the stage, it still hadn't delaminated. It was nope. you know, some shredded bits here or there, but it was still holding together. So pulling that speed way back and just driving it to the end of the stage, obviously, you know, what, two, three minutes to change a tire, two minutes if you're a very, very fast crew, but if that's your first time ever doing it on, on time pressure, not a good idea. Yeah, right. no, I think they made the right decision there. He's an impressive character, I'd have to say, Jack, Brandon Semenuk. You know, I didn't know an awful lot about him, but I, I Googled him, and you Google him, and you put it into YouTube, and you get him doing absolutely bonkers things yeah. on bikes, on, on BMX bikes. Um, is it BMX bikes? Do they, uh, it's what um, they call them these Downhill days. Downhill mountain bike. Downhill mountain bikes. Yeah. Am I showing my age there? I think <laughs> yeah. I am, aren't I? Yeah. Um, just a little bit. Um, doing absolutely mad things. And, you know, you go from Travis Pastrana, who we all know is just a supremely talented lad, but my goodness me, his brain is wired differently from the rest of us. And you look at these X Games type competitors and you think, yeah, they're, they're all slightly bonkers. They're all, and they have to be to do what they do. You know, it's, it, that fear gene is missing from their brains. That fear reaction is missing. Um, and you kind of look at them and you're saying, you know, in rallying, you need someone that's like that, but you also need someone that, that can, can be a little bit more methodical about things. Uh, and I think Semenuk is, is that guy. And I, I talked to someone from Vermont tonight. I said, you know, I said, you, you took a wee bit of a gamble with him. I said, They're all, they've all got a bit of a screw loose. And he went, yeah, but Brendan's screw isn't quite as loose as some of the other X Games type boys. And he's so right. He has, he has that, that real fearless approach. And he has that, you know, that ability to see, to see things at speed in, in almost slow-mo. And that, that's what makes a great driver, a great downhill skier, a great downhill mountain biker. You know, they're seeing things more clearly at speed than, than you or I could ever possibly see them. Um, but he's also got that ability to be methodical, professional, focused when he needs to be. Because you don't win seven, what is it, seven rallies in a row now? Seven in a row. Approach. I mean, I guess, did he win LSPR the year before as well? 
I think so seven. I think someone said seven in a row. He's won that. seven in a row this year. Yeah, this, uh, this year, year for sure. Yeah, he's, he's some. He's an impressive guy. Yeah, he really is, and you know he's. Even prior to getting into rallying, you hit the nail on the head. He's a, already an elite level uh, level athlete, um, and it's interesting from my time spent at the school when we're working with you know people coming from off road and then getting into the rally car. It's always mountain bikers and uh, the like dirt bikers that are the ones that pick it up first, and um, it just shows that his level of career that he's able to work to this point. But I I've always liked with Semenek that there was never any interest in the bigness of the sport in being any sort of like media or sending it or like any of the regular tropes that you hear in any sort of like motorsport and racing. He's showed up and been like, I'm here to drive fast, has gotten in the car and then entirely focus on driving fast. But he's not the one to take a risk in any of like his interviews when he's saying it's like, we're going we're gonna to go drive hard. But he's not the one who's putting the car off. There's a level of consistency at an elite level yeah. in, in the ARA that's uh, is really exciting to see with him. It is exciting. It is exciting. And with, with, with him, I, you know, there's been a bit of talk about maybe he'd like to go to Europe, try a bit of European rallying, and, and I guess you know he's, he's well set up to do that. Um, where do we think his level is? Where do we think if he were to come across and say, you know, uh, an RC2 car, rally 2 car um, in Europe, do you think he would be on the pace quick enough? After riding with him, I mean, I think uh, I think his pace is and just his skill level is a lot more developed than uh, maybe I had previously thought. Yeah. Seeing seeing the commitment to some of those blind crests, you know, being comfortable with that road obviously makes a little bit of difference. But just seeing how much he could commit to that and his ability to find grip yeah. seems to be superior to anyone else I've ever seen in a car. You know, it's one of those things to say you know you can trust the notes or whatever but his ability to read the road which i think comes from a lot of the mountain biking mm -hmm. and his ability to find that grip find that edge and dig in anticipating where that grip is you know he's not necessarily sending it into some of those things but trusting and knowing exactly how much grip is there and i think even some of the people in the other rc2s overseas might be surprised you know maybe certain stages suit him better I think some of the downhill stages here in the U.S., he he definitely puts a lot more time down on, you know, when he's racing against people like Pastrana last year that we saw. Some of those certain stages suit his style a little bit better, and I think if in the right conditions, he would certainly do very, very well over there. I, I'd love to see him. I really would, because I, I, I do think he's got, uh, he's got the skill set, he's got that right mix, and he's got something else about him that's a bit special. He is so understated. You know, and, and calm and relaxed, and you know, he's not, as you said, Jack. He doesn't blow his own trumpet. He's not out there to, to make it. He, he is the polar opposite from Pastrana. The polar who and Pastrana is brilliant with his, you know, his energy and his excitement and his enthusiasm, but completely opposite. And to see the two of them next year, because they've confirmed that, haven't they now, Subaru? It's going to be a two-car team next year. To see them in that team next year fighting each other again, I think it's going to be really exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to Trav coming back. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see him win side by side. Um, I think, uh, was it last year or potentially the year before, a fascinating point that Brenton, you brought up with like the ability to sort of find grip in these areas and sort of what makes Brandon a little bit different, right? Um, I think it was an Olympus stage where they released the videos of the onboard between the drivers and you, could see as they were going through, there's certain sections of the stage 
where both drivers, Travis and Semenek, are pretty much bang on, right? They're, they're sort of setting similar pace, they're carrying this through. And then there's these little moments where either Travis has come in a little bit big or has come in a little bit hot, or Semenek hasn't, and you see them sort of separate out. And what's interesting isn't that corner, it's the following two yeah. corners, yeah. where you see that someone's carrying loads of speed mm -hmm. in and Semenek has just backed off. And then you sort of notice at the split time, Semnet's up by 0.7 of a second or 1.5 seconds, and it built up as you were going through. Um, I think that if he was to be going into a sort of championship against some of these other drivers, like it's that consistency that he would go through. Sorry to bring it back to the other point. No, no, no. Um, no, no but continuing back forward with the conversation, I'm a big Travis Pastrana fan. I yeah, can't wait to see I. what uh, a little bit of pressure um, would you know, sort of uh, bring to Semnet with this, yeah. especially now that he's had uh, uh, sort of he's had more time and helped develop this new yeah. car. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in the beginning of his career, Travis had helped set up that car. And so now it's going to be interesting if Travis can ad adapt to a vehicle that Semenek has sort of had the, the yeah. leading, um, leading role in. No, absolutely. And, and that will play a, a factor next year, you know, because there is no question. You know, you, you build a car and you build a car to be versatile. You know, it's, it can be driven by... Sebastian Ogier, or, you know, it could be driven by a gentleman driver who just wants to spend some of his, his money that he's made. And you have to, you know, if you're making a car, then that, that's generally how you make a car. But, you know, whoever the lead developer is on the car, it will be biased towards their style. And we've seen that many times in the past in the World Rally Championship. I'm looking forward to seeing how, how those two get on together next year. And we have to say, don't we, um, they have confirmed the title this year, or this week, in Ojibwe, the... Uh, Championship has been confirmed, and many congratulations to Subaru for doing that again. Um, yeah, you know, we all expected it, but, you know, it was confirmed this week in Ojibwe. Yeah, congratulations Absolutely. Now, we've talked an awful lot about Subaru, and rightly so, because they put an awful lot into this event and an awful lot into that car. But I really enjoyed the battle behind. There were three cars that certainly started the event, boys, uh, that were going at it, Hammer and Tonks. It was great to watch that battle behind in three quite different cars. Yeah, with the, the fight between Javier Olivares, Matthew Dickinson, and then Pat Morrow. Um, you know, uh, they're all in all-drive cars, um, but seeing a Ford Fiesta, an STI, and a Chevy Sonic with a V8 <laughs> of all things put in there, yeah. um, battling back and forth and trading sta uh, stage times for the majority of day one, they were within five to eight seconds of each other. And... You know, being able to follow the times from the Dirtfish Live Center, it was exciting that we'd see, you know, Javier come through and we're like, oh, he's taking the lead. And then the next stage is like, wow, Matthew Dickinson pulled five seconds on the rest of them. And every stage was just this back and forth all the way through. The, the fight for the rest of the podium was probably one of the most engaging fights uh, uh, at the entire rally and of the last couple of rallies for me, being able to see it back and forth all the way through. It was ebb and flow. Can I kind of continue right till the end of the rally? I mean, one or two of the boys had a few issues, didn't they, yep. over the course of the weekend, which, which I, I guess affected the result at the end of the day. But, you know, there's no question all three of them were completely committed to it and going for it. Definitely, yeah. You know, Matt Dickinson had, he kind of said, five different mechanical issues. He had the, the brake caliper go out. He had... The cool suit, which kind of was the biggest one for him, you know. <laughs> it seemed like that was there. his biggest yeah. problem, even inside the, the rest of them. The tie rod, a flat tire, and then I can't a boost pop off a boost leak on the, yeah. the fifth one there. So, yeah, a bunch of different struggles for him, but 
just to touch on you know that variation and timing where they're all trading times we kind of saw that all the way down the field all the way through the regionals is everyone was kind of having trouble finding consistency in their own driving you know a lot of trading times back and forth where they're all you know just struggling and that comes down to the surface here at Ojibwe is that sand you know it's very unpredictable like I was saying on Friday you have to keep that car moving and it's very interesting. A lot of these drivers were kind of peeking at the times and, you know, one stage they'd come off and be kind of frustrated with themselves. The next day they'd come off and be like, oh, I feel great because I, I compared the times and, you know, everyone's battling that surface as well as battling each other. And it really made for a very, very interesting rally here, especially for that second place battle. Mm -hmm. It was a great battle. And let's talk about one or two of the other classes. Jack, you were, you were following them yeah. as close as anyone. Um, it's the great thing, I suppose, about, about rallying in North America. It's the great thing and sometimes the confusing thing. You know, it, there are so many classes, um, but there's a logic to it. Yeah. And once you get your head around that logic, it's not too difficult to follow. And the great thing about having those classes is that, okay, you have a dominant team at the top, the Subaru team, but beyond that, you know, you've got some fantastic cars battling out with each other in some really, really competitive classes. Yeah, and the, the system that they got set up here is really exciting because it means that there's always competition within your class. You know, uh, we've got the open four-wheel drive, the limited four-wheel drive, but then we've got something similar in the regional and the national championship. Um, but there is still overall timing and overall ranking. So you look at, uh, I've got the, the timings up here now, it's like you look at the top five here, you've got a couple of all-wheel drive cars and in fourth position is Michael Hooper, in a rear-wheel drive Lexus IS350. It's like, he, he's just a little off the podium, and yeah. he's in a rear-wheel drive Lexus. Like, yeah. there, there's no other series in which you're gonna see something like that. Um, but this is what I loved. I, I loved the variety of cars that we had. And I loved the fact that those cars are, yes, you know, some of them had clearly had a fair amount of money spent on them. But more than that, the majority of them had a whole load of time and love thrown at them. You know, and, and it, it, you know, these guys are, are competing, the, the, the young lad, the young Finnish lad, or half Finnish lad, remind me of his name, Johnson. Levi Johnson. Levi Johnson. You know, he, he quite openly said, look, my car's a box. It looks like a, but he said, under the bonnet, you know, I'll tell you, there's, there's a cracking engine there that we've worked on. Um, that, for me, kind of typified what it was all about. They bought that car, I think, for $8,000, and they wanted to compete. And my goodness me, they competed in it. Which, they, they won their class, right? Which class, remind me, that was? That was uh, open two-wheel drive and regional Levi Johnson, you know. And he, he had some struggles as well. You know, he was dealing with fuel pump issues this morning, you know, minutes before he was doing time control. He was, we stopped over to talk to him, and he wanted to chat with us. And we see him holding a fuel pump in one oh. hand, a couple of bolts in the other, and wanted to stop working on it. We're like, man, you got to go. Like, it was remarkable. <laughs> there were all sorts of bits around this car. Yeah. And they had 10 minutes before they had to go out of service. They had to refuel. They had to get, you know, and it was like, boys. All that stuff, and then we'll be all right. And they were, and it was, it, it is for me just one of the really, really uh, exciting parts of rallying in this part of the world. It's just, you know, meeting people with that kind of mentality. They are true rallyists. They are true rallyists. And you have to say, I, I was lucky. We were, but you guys didn't meet them. I met some of these guys for the first time. You knew some of them uh, previously. But there were some folk out there today that were truly, truly inspiring. Uh, in terms of rallying. You know, we met, uh, now remind me of the lad in the Fiesta, the Red Fiesta. He won... Sean Donnelly. Sean yeah. Donnelly. Goodness me, what a story he's got to tell. You are an alumni of Dirtfish Rally School. Absolutely. Uh, a man who's got a young family. He's worked hard. Um, he's had a business which he, which he sold on. And he now is more or less, having been by the sound of things, 
I don't know if he was a professional wrestler, but wrestling uh, was his was his chosen sport. And it sounds as if he put a lot of lot of effort and time into that, and, and enjoyed some success in wrestling, has enjoyed some success in business, and he's now putting everything into rallying. And and he won for the first time this weekend. Yeah, second rally. Second rally, he's fully finished, second, and he's winning to limited two wheel drive in in national. It, but, but I mean, just but it goes to me, show, like yeah. you said, his preparation oh. going into this, right? Almost a year of preparation before he even went to go do a rally. And Jack, you worked with him. You worked with tell him. Us, tell yeah. us about him. Yeah, so as part of his preparation for it, he started to commit. It's like, we're going to go out and do this rallying thing. Um, and it was recommended that if you are going to rally, you need to understand how to utilize your co-driver and yeah. how you need to work with your co-driver. Yeah. So he ended up taking one of the co-driving courses that Dirtfish offers with um, uh, Oz Rally Pro and uh, Alex and Rian and Gelsomino. So he came out, did the, pro- uh, the program with them, and then at the end of the program, they get to hop in the car. And they will take our pace notes as, as instructors and that we will have them work with what we call, we all have different styles, and then we're going to go and drive with them. And right away, I hopped in, and it's like I let him know, this is my like, co-driving glossary. I like to use these terms. This is what I think. And he went, yep, 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 okay. Hopped in the car, called notes like perfect the first time. I, I just love absorbed that. it. I love that about what he said. And, and you know, I've, I've had a lot of drivers talking over the years. And he said, look, you know, as part of my, my plan to learn how to... Because uh, to he's come to running, he's discovered running. You know, and he was looking for something to replace. I think he said that kind of. Well, what was that term he used about about wrestling, about it being a cave, a, a cave of pain, pain a cave of pain. So he's, he's he's moved away from his wrestling. He's moved away from his business, and he was looking for a sport that challenged him. He's clearly a man that likes challenges, and as you say, he's prepared remarkably well. And when he said, "You, know, I had to learn about co-driving, because it's it's an integral part of driving," I thought, I've, I've never heard. In 20 years of covering the sport, I have never heard a driver say that. And it's so obvious. It is so obvious. And you think, why don't more drivers take that approach? Because it is so obvious. Remarkable young man. Driving is one thing, but rallying is a team sport. As much as you want to be there and be the driver to push hard and you are driving the car, you can drive as much as you commit and you need someone else to be thinking on the same page as you and working with you. And It's... There's a bit of a responsibility as the driver that you need to work with your co-driver so you are thinking on the same page. And it's, it's really exciting to see someone so new in the sport yeah. recognize that immediately Absolutely. and be like, I need to take this to heart. And, you know, when you hear people new to the sport talking in that way, you think, yeah, this guy's got something. He understands it. He understands how to go about it. And then he, you know, it's not just, he doesn't just talk the talk. He went out there and he performed this weekend, as you say, and he won... Open two-wheel drive, was it? Limited two-wheel limited drive, drive yeah. Just explain that to us. Limited two-wheel, open two-wheel. What's the difference between limited and open? Uh, there's, a, there's a power limiter for it's it. So, yeah. so it's, and it's the same in four-wheel drive, limited and open. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, very, very talented young man. It was a joy meeting him. Um, we could talk for ages. There were so many drivers. Anyone in particular, Jack, you want to bring up? Well, uh, we were talking earlier on about, like, um, uh, it sounds like a bunch of the drivers were getting sort of excited as they were going through the field and they were starting to check times and getting competitive with it. Uh, one noticeable aside to someone who wasn't checking times was the overall regional winner, and that was Michael Engel. Um, he, I think he was chatting to you guys outside of each stage. They checked their times at the end of the day, but each stage they just went out, drove hard, finished, and continued on to the next one. Yeah. They're, they're getting in a flow. They're enjoying it. They're... they're they're driving to the pace that they are comfortable with. And you know, unbeknownst to them throughout the rally, 
they're putting five and ten seconds on the rest of their competitors every single time. But because they're they're driving their own race, it's set them up for a fantastic result. Yeah. I think really well. I think that's a great example there too of the control that a co-driver has. Because if you yeah. look at Mike Engel's co-driver Ryan Scott, he's very experienced. And although Mike is not looking at times, <laughs> Ryan was giving me the eye in the passenger seat when he was saying, oh, we're not looking at times. I look over, I can see Ryan kind of winking at me a little bit or giving me the hand signals and stuff. Ryan was definitely paying attention to time. So maybe it's something a little bit that Ryan is maybe pushing him on or, yeah, you know, or pulling him back a little bit. Exactly. Speed, you he said, okay, yeah. we're, we're getting those yeah. leads. Maybe I'm going to pull yeah. back on those notes a little bit. So that was a great example. But it's, it's you know, like you're saying, it's a team sport. Yeah. Mike wants to drive his race. Ryan, you know, has that ability to wrangle him in or push him on. But Mike did not want to look at times at all till the end of the day. He said, drive my race, be comfortable with how I'm doing. You know, he has that ultimate say, when do I hit the brakes? When do I hit the gas? But Ryan can obviously lead him into those corners a little bit differently with those notes. So that's a great example of, you know, how you were saying it is a team sport. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, one more driver I want to talk about. Um, the very last interview that we did, Brento, Brenton, at the end of stage 16, wasn't it? So yeah. stage 16, just to let you know, stage 16, there were actually 17 stages in the rally. The regional uh, competition was 16 stages. The national did an extra stage, which was the power stage. So it was the end of the penultimate stage of the rally, but the end of the final stage for the regional cruise. And it was the final car. Final car, wasn't it? Remind me of the driver's name? Neil Thomas. Neil Thomas. And my goodness me, he came out and you went to the side of the door, Brenton, and you're, I think you'd asked the question. I'm looking, thinking, that's tears. That's tears in this guy's eyes. And it was his first event. And he'd worked for two years to get to the event. He was working solely on his car that he couldn't do the recce. And he drove the first day on tulips rather than pace notes. He borrowed someone's pace notes for the second day. And he was so, so happy, delighted, relieved that there were tears of absolute joy coming down his face at the end of that final stage. And for me, it was probably the highlight of my weekend, just reminding us you know, what rallying can mean to people, what it can do for people. Uh, he was an absolute joy, a joy to see that, just that absolute raw, unadulterated emotion at the end of that stage. Yeah, it was truly amazing to see him come off of there, you know, talking about the hours and the effort and the friends and the favors. And, you know, it's one of those things we can all see ourselves in that once you complete a rally to really understand and, and seeing that raw emotion coming immediately off the stage. You know, it's, it's really inspiring, you know. It is inspiring. You know, I agree with that entirely. You yeah. know, when I, when I finished my first rally, I was probably the last car on the road, maybe the second to last car. And I had, you know, similar situation where I was dealing with issues the whole time and, and really saw myself a little bit in that, you know, seeing those tears come, yeah, putting yeah, all that yeah. effort in because you, you, you're not winning the rally, but in your mind it kind of feels like you just won the rally, right? right. Yeah, and, yeah. and seeing Neil the couple of days before, you know, we went and talked to him Friday morning and yeah. I was looking at his engine and I, a couple of guys were standing around his car and I asked these guys, you know, what, what motor is this? And they're like, oh, you'll have to ask the driver. And I asked another guy, what motor is this? You'll have to ask the driver. I said, well, where's the driver? He's under the car. <laughs> and I turn and look, at, and I'm, okay, he's busy. I start walking away, and he pulls himself to the side of the car and starts going, oh, it's an SVO Mustang Turbo. It was the stock motor out of this. You know, and then I get a photo of him. He's laying under the car giving me a thumbs up. And then come to find out later, 
didn't have time to do recce because he was still working on the car, getting it together. Had to do tulips, like just so much effort, so much time. It's something people don't really think about. Uh, you know, you see rally and you see you see Subaru and you see the top cars and you yeah. think, wow, you know, everybody comes into this and thinks I, I need sponsors and I'm just going to show up and drive. People don't think about not even the back half of the field. Let's say the, the back three quarters of the field that are doing the work themselves. You know, your hands are so swollen from getting bolts loose and tighten on the car that you, every time you go to turn the wheel and shift, you're feeling that pain from the hours you put in to make this car work. And you really saw at the end of that stage that Neil, oh. it, it all came together and it finally paid off for him. Oh, it was just, it was for me. It was an absolutely magical moment, and it just yeah, it reminds us reminds us of just how great the sport is. Uh, Jack, any, any other drivers you wanted to mention? Before we just briefly move on and have a little chat about the WRC. I'd like to throw out, I'm very excited for uh, the winner of the regional uh, limited two-wheel drive class. Uh, Dirt Fish alumni. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Good, good mates in that car of uh, Richo Healy and uh, Michelle Miller. Uh, Richo has been through the classes multiple times. Uh, he's a top bloke. Um, he's co-driven with uh, my best mate, Eric Schoffhauser, at uh, Oregon Trail Rally. Now he's uh, with Michelle Miller, another Dirtfish senior instructor, and winning his class. Um, winning, and again, his second event? Second, second event. event. Second event, and he wins his class. Yeah. And he's a heck of a character, isn't he? What is he uh, we, we didn't quite establish this. We, a professional skydiver? He, yeah, he represents Australia's national parachuting team. There you go. Yeah, there so go. they do this, these parachuting competitions yeah. where it's a... Uh, a low dive in, they hit the parachutes, and then they're feet over the ground running oh. through these courses at pace and racing through it. Uh, it's particularly intense stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, yeah and then decided rallying's like the next thing for him. So uh, I like his style. I, I love his style. <laughs> and he has some sense of style, hasn't he? He's, he's, he's quite different in how he looks and how he conducts himself. He's got a huge amount of energy about him. Well, I think thanks I to him, you've got a new style as well. I do, actually, it's, not new. it's not new. No, pink is not new for me. <laughs> but he, a man very close to my heart. He, he loves the colour pink, which I do. And um, uh, he, he did. He shared with me a, a pair of his pink sunglasses. There you go. Very, no, I haven't got I've taken them up to my room. They've gone in my bag. Otherwise, I'd have put them on because... Obviously, that works well on podcasts. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I got to say, I, I was at the end of Richo's first stage oh. at Oregon Trail Rally when Eric was co-driving for him. And I think David did the interview, but I was, I was standing behind it. I might have been filming the interview. I don't remember. But out of all the interviews, I mean, we had, what, 60, almost 70 cars at Oregon coming off. Richo's was the most memorable. You know, he's put all this preparation coming into the school. He had co-driven for an event already, but he got to the end of the super special stage at the Portland International Raceway, and he was screaming, I did it! I finished a rally stage! You know, like, just to see the excitement coming off that first stage was just eye-opening to who this guy is, and, like, this is a guy we're probably going to see in the sport more. Well, it's, it's, it, you know, I, I guess his approach will be similar to Seminuk's in that, you know, his, his, Everyday life is about controlled risk. You know, it looks edgy as hell, but it's all about controlling the level of risk. Uh, and he's, he's transferring those skills into rallying. You know, and by all accounts, he's quick. Yeah. He really is quick, but it's knowing where you can push that a little bit harder. He's not, it's not reckless quick, it's controlled quick. It's impressive. I did ask him, I mean, you were there when I asked him, you know, you're a skydiver, how do you compare... Yeah. rally to skydiving and, and he said uh i think uh rally people are a little more wild you know <laughs> <laughs> he, th he thinks skydiving is a little yeah. more calm and in my mind i, I don't know 
I, I think the opposite, but it's great to see, you know, that contrast of, like you said, controlled risk. Controlled risk. It, it was great. Listen, we, you know, I certainly met some real characters this weekend, and you know, it's been another great rally, great, great rally here in North America for me. I've really, really enjoyed every minute of um, just discovering, discovering these great stages, these great crews, these great people, um, and discovering this, this great rally on the banks of the greatest river in America, the mighty Mississippi. How long is that river? That, uh, thank you for a tea job for that. Uh, 2,340 miles long, and it is in fact the second longest river in North America. Well, the second longest. It is. And I'm going to tell you that the longest river is, oh my goodness, it's gone, it's gone. It's, it's the name of a US battleship. Oh, it's a good reminder. Missouri River. The Missouri. <laughs> the Missouri. The Missouri River, which is, would you believe this? It is the longest river in America, but it's only one mile longer than the mighty Mississippi. I think I might put a protest in on that one. It might be worth protesting and saying, no, we want a remeasure. We really do. Uh, yeah, it's a great, great part of the world, and it's been lovely discovering it up here. Uh, thanks very much to the organizers as well. They've done a great job, by the way. You know, we did have an incident out there today. Guys, it's worth mentioning. Uh, Seamus, Seamus Burke, what a fantastic competitor he is. A man that loves his rallying, turns up in the most incredible Mark II escort. He had a pretty hefty accident out there, guys. Yeah, it was on uh, side of uh, stage 10. Um, yeah. Pretty nasty accident that, got, uh, that, that caused the stage to get stopped. Um, so fortunately, it sounds like they're doing okay, but uh, he did have to get uh, extracted from the car yeah. and, and medevaced out. So if you were following the results, that's why the morning loop ended up getting shut down. So... Um, send in uh, many good vibes and uh, uh, much love to, to Seamus yeah, Burke there. Um, absolutely. I'll see you back at the next one soon. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, the point we have to make about that was it was an impeccable response from the organisers. They got absolutely everything right in terms of their response. Rally Safe worked as it should work. Um, so, you know, always awful to see an accident like that. But, you know, it, it was very, very well handled by everyone involved the first responders, um, the organisers, it was, it was great to see that kind of, you know, that response swinging into action and doing what it had to do. Yeah, it was nice to see the, the, the safety protocols that they worked so hard to put in yeah. um, uh, work exactly as they should. Yeah, it was yeah. fantastic. It definitely, uh, I think the rally safe really came in there. Just like you're saying, the protocols and everything, seeing the rally safe act yeah. that quickly really made a difference in, in the response here. It was, it was really, really encouraging to see that. It really was. Um, yeah, well done. Well done, everyone here. It was, it was a great event, a great weekend, enjoyed by all of us. Uh, let's move on a little bit. Just a couple of things, really, to pick up. We've only got a minute or two left here. Would you believe we're up to 47 minutes, boys? Nice. That's well past We don't have bed. to cap this off, well, do we? Well past, <laughs> well past my bedtime. What time is that? It is quarter to 11 at night. I didn't even know this time existed. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely didn't, boys. Normally, I'd be sound asleep by this time. Um, WRC, I suppose the news this week um, in WRC, it's Temo Sunanen. I guess we were expecting that for uh, Rally Chile coming up. A real opportunity for him there because, you know, Sunanen was brought in for the fast gravel rallies and, and Estonia and Finland are two of the fastest. He won't feel too out of place, though, in Chile. Chile's roads very similar to Rally GB. They're forest roads, they're gravel roads bit of pace in those roads. I, I think, I think you know, not unexpected to see Sunanen getting the nod over Danny Sordo for that one. Yeah, it seems like a strong move. I mean, he's certainly proved himself over the last couple of events. Um, 
If I remember rightly, on the last podcast we were talking, I, I almost felt that uh, Sunan got a, a little bit of a, uh, unfair treatment towards the end of the year. He had some speed to him and he needed to find a little bit of pace. So it's nice to see him sort of uh, moving back into it. It, it is. And, and Sunanen is, is one of those drivers that uh, had a rough time. There's no question he had a rough time. He had a rough time at M Sport. Um, but he made mistakes. You know, he made mistakes. He found it difficult to handle the car. And it is quite remarkable you know, how we've seen it so often over the past, you know, recent five or six, seven years. You know, drivers who burst onto the scene, who come with a huge amount of expectation, they show us some real, real promise. Sooner in only his second rally was pushing for a podium and maybe a win in Finland. You know, they then go off the boil and they disappear off for a while. And then they come back as stronger, better, more mentally prepared drivers. And I think that's what it is with Sunan. He's had a little breakaway... And he's come back, probably there's no more skill there, there's no more bravery there, but there's more mental fortitude. You know, he's had to deal with that adversity. And as a driver, you know, that's one of those little tools that you need to work on, and that mental fortitude is going to help him. Yeah, you know, definitely taking some time off or something like that. It, it's, they say if you have a little bit more of a creative mindset and you can take that time off and kind of have a different perspective, be away from all that, you know, be away from all the the action-packedness of it, have some time to reflect, you can come back yeah. and actually be better and be more aggressive and take a different approach. And I think that's that. what we're seeing. Exactly. I think that's what we're seeing, and we're seeing less of uh, less of the, the unpredictableness from Sunanen. You know, he's just he's putting in the right times, he knows when to push, and, you know, he's, he's very much setting out his stall for that job next year. I mean, we don't know yet. You know, I think in the next few weeks we're about to see an explosion of rumour and gossip, and maybe even some confirmation in terms of next year's driver market. But we don't know just yet, but we know that Sunan is, is, is pushing for that seat next year, and I think so far he's doing everything right. He's uh, certainly found himself in the right position for it. Um, he has. If he, can, uh, if he can move into Chile and continue with some of that pace, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he's yeah. going to be getting a top-level seat next year. I'm looking forward to seeing him in Chile, that's for sure. We do obviously have Greece before that and Acropolis before that, and that's always a great rally, so we'll, we'll look forward to that. But, boys... Um, we are still in... Right, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. Don't <laughs> tell me. Oh, rapids. Something rapids. Help me out. Honestly. Park uh, rapids. Honestly, <laughs> it is pathetic. <laughs> it is so pathetic. It's, it's, it's something I've struggled with over the years. Particular names that I just have blanks with. Blanks. And the one that I had blanks with at stage ends was Tony Gardemeister. Tony Gardemeister. I never... <laughs> ever, ever could remember his name at stage ends. Uh, now he stopped driving, I can remember it. But at stage ends, he would come in and go, it's that Finnish bloke, he's got Tommy Torman in next to him, oh my goodness me. And until the car came in and I saw the name on the side, I would never remember it. Park Rapids has got me this week. I don't think I've remembered the name of it once. Park Rapids is the Tony Gardemeister of Minnesota. Correct, it is. <laughs> you it have is. been uh, referring to it as Park City a few Park times. City, a lot of these parks. Star City, all sorts of strange things. A lot of generic names around here. You know, we're Riverview, Park City, Park Rapids. But... Park Rapids. It is Park Rapids. But we're sitting at our kitchen table in our wonderful little B&B, Airbnb in Park Rapids. Uh, boys, where, where do we go next then in terms of the North American Championship, ARA? For the eighth round of the championship, we are heading up to LSPR Rally, Ooh. the Lake Superior Performance Rally. That's one of the classics, isn't it? It Absolutely. is. So wow. back in the day, it originally ran as, well, they, 
you know, it was part of it. You know, this is in the UP, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and the Press on Regardless rally, which I believe was a WRC round at some point or some aspect of a WRC round, actually ran from Detroit all the way up to the UP. Which That's is one of my favorite names for a rally, by the way, the Press on Regardless rally. But that oh, press on regardless, that. <laughs> it's they a great name, right? Yeah, it's a great name. That, but that old rally when it was the WRC, is, that's about an eight hours distance to cover. So, I mean, you're, you're at a very far wow. distance there. But this rally up in the UP, it used to originally be based out of Houghton about 10 years ago. Now they've shifted it to Marquette, where the Northern Michigan University is up there. Uh, it, it's held in October, in the fall. It's known, obviously, Michigan's known for the beautiful colors up there. It's in that color-changing wow. week. We even heard St Steve yeah. Gingras on the podium today yeah. talking about, you know, everyone's invited up for the colors tour. Oh, wow. You know, they have those airplanes. Wow. You can pay for that couple-hour ride up there. So we're heading up to the northern Michigan, Upper Peninsula, for that eighth round, some of the famous stages up there. It's one of my favorite rallies. One of the stages, a former WRC stage. Yes. Wow. I can't wait. I really can't wait for that. It's going to be great fun. Uh, boys, thank you very much. It's been a joy working with you again this weekend. I've enjoyed really genuinely every second of it. Well, apart from Brenton, when I had to keep telling you to look at the camera, and you promised me you'd look for a minute, and you gave me half a second. There's a lot of bugs flying <laughs> around, a lot of bugs moment, out here I was moment, getting distracted yeah, by. Yeah, apart from that, it's been an absolute joy, Jack. You've been wonderful in the, uh, the nerve centre of the Dirtfish Live Centre. You've, you've been... You lock yourself away for a rally weekend. You probably know more about what's going on in the rally than anyone. But I guess you'd quite like to be out and about, but you do a great job. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, the sentiment is absolutely returned to, to you, Colin and Brenton. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure working with you guys. Um, next time, though, if we could all go to a rally where there's not poison ivy, um, I would oh, very gosh, much... Uh, we didn't great. even get around to mentioning <laughs> the poison ivy. You did, again, scare the out of me talking about poison ivy earlier on. I actually, the first night I had a shower when I got here... I used washing up liquid to wash myself down because someone said that's what you have to do when you've been near poison ivy. Exactly. So, yeah, no, that was quite interesting. What we have to say, boys, as well, we have to mention Peng, the wonderful Peng Du, who's uh, been the fourth member of our team this weekend on event, um, taking just incredible photographs and doing some great little videos. If you have, by the way, missed our coverage, or any of our coverage here at Ojibwe, uh, just go and have a look. Have a look at Dartfish Live Centre. It's all there. Absolutely. You can check it out day by day. You can scroll yeah. back through the rally from the Plenty of videos as well. Lots of interviews. A little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, there's plenty. Plenty. See some of Peng's great photographs as well. Yeah. Check out his stuff. Peng um, uh, is a, a master for it. You'll see a bunch of his pictures on there. You posted quite a few of them this weekend. And you do still have the option to comment on yes. the Live Center. Even days later, I know Jack yeah. does check back a couple days later. Sometimes he'll shoot I me do. a text I and do. say, hey, we got 15 new comments <laughs> or something like that. So if you are reading through and you have any questions or even want to just comment or speculate on how the rally went or have questions, comment on it. Jack will respond within a day or two. Yeah. Oh, he will. He I'm right there. <laughs> and I can highly recommend going back because some of the interviews were just great, as we said earlier on. Folks, thank you very much for joining us once again on Spin the Rally Pod. It is about 20 minutes past my bedtime, so I'm heading off to bed, boys. It's been a joy, as I said, having you uh, to work with this weekend and again having you on Spin the Rally Pod. Folks, thank you very much. We will speak to you all again, and we'll do it all again next week. Mm -hmm.